You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Utes. Welcome into a Monday edition of the show. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. And Brian... We got a lot to talk about, don't we? Especially considering Utah is coming home with their tail between their legs as they try and regroup after losing up in Corvallis. It was a brutal game for the Utes, I think, after two really outstanding weekends and uh, just not enough magic happening for the Utes out there uh, to get past the Beavs this weekend. Yep, so we'll dig into all of that ahead on today's show. So without further ado, let's get going here. This is the Locked On Utes podcast for October 25th, 2021. Once again, you are Locked On Utes. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Our goal here is to make you guys the smartest Utah fans out there. My name is Jake Hatch. Joined, as always, by my fearless co-host, the guy who's been really running the ship recently because of some of the other things going on uh, outside of my outside of my control, let's put it that way, Brian Brown, the brown bear in the chair himself. What is up, Brian? Great to have you back, Jake. We've had some fun this week. Uh, managed to mix in a little Steve Bartle appearance in addition to Cole Bagley. Mm-hmm. We'll try and add to the uh, the co-hosts as, as things start to even out a little bit. Um, we've got some more people that we're trying to introduce all the time. So, uh, But most importantly, I needed you back today to talk about how uh, frustrating the game was on Saturday because it was not the kind of football that we're you know used to seeing from the University of Utah, especially not after the last two weeks. Well, and okay, that's the thing about this is I, I wanted to start. Utah races out to a fourteen nothing lead, and I was like, sweet, okay, things are going well here. Utah, okay, they're going to go up there. They're doing exactly what they seem to do every time they play against Oregon State. No matter how good or bad Oregon State is, they just handle business against the Beavers. Well, uh, yeah, after that 14 nothing start, it ended up being a 42-20 to run uh, overall for Oregon State as they run away with a 42-34 to victory. I think the biggest thing I, I want to start with, Brian, is how pedestrian at times Utah's offense looked as compared to what Oregon State was doing. Oregon State just seemed to have things... They knew what they were going to do. They stuck to the game plan, even after falling behind by two scores. They said, you know what? No panic here. We're just going to do our thing. Whereas Utah, there were moments of absolute brilliance for this Utah offense. And then it seemed like other parts of the game, it was like, what in the world is going on with these guys? Yeah, it, just a lot of uncharacteristic plays. I think the special teams stand out the most. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the second segment. But it was things like not being able to stop the run and and look we talked about it a lot and, and we've said it over and over again whether you listen here or on the locked on pack to a podcast when i'm on there oregon state's a really good football team and and they have an excellent run game for a reason jonathan smith does some great stuff with their uh schematics and and ej baylor is a legit dude uh for oregon state and chance nolan when he's not turning the ball over is is as good a uh, game manager as you can find out there and he was excellent against the Utes on Saturday night but the the uncharacteristic part about it was just not being able to stop the run game and uh, you know I, I know that me personally 
I saw a lot of holds, and that's fine. Holds happen. Uh, I think especially on uh, was it uh, Trey Lowe's big run. There was one where Clark Phillips was trying to get it off his, his blocker, and uh, looked like the Oregon State uh, offensive player was trying to hold his hand and escort him down the field a little bit. Um, look, that's not why Utah lost this game because those are you know small plays here and there. Uh, why they lost this game is because they allowed 260 yards rushing. Um, and, and, you know, like it just, it's mind boggling to think about that, but I, I think there's reasons for it, right? No Malone Mattaele. Uh-huh. So Clark Phillips has to slide inside. Zamaya Vaughn starting for the first time. He's, you know, technically a walk on in, 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 in terms of, you know, how he came to the University of Utah. He was a quarterback before he came here. He played safety last year, just starting out at corner. So having said that, I think he did a pretty good job, but. Injuries started to pile up a little bit with Utah and Vontae Davis leaving the game. Uh, you know, Cole Bishop still not quite uh, able to make an impact, and, and Utah really struggled to defend the run. And I think more importantly, uh, losing Devin Lloyd in the second half and now again for the first half in UCLA, it just underscores how frustrating that that targeting rule is. Well, but, it, all, uh, it also underscores how good Devin Lloyd is and how important he is to, to this defense. Yes. The, the defensive line did Utah no favors in this game. And I, I'm, I'm not going to go after any individual guy along that Utah defensive line, but as a unit, that was a disappointing effort for them. They got outmanned, outgunned, outphysicaled by this Oregon State offensive line. And uh, Vianney Mawala, losing him earlier on this season, I think hurt this Utah defensive line. He was on his way to having, I thought, a pretty good season uh, before getting injured. But there's still talent there for, for Utah. Uh, I thought Junior Tafuna, the, the fumble recovery before getting out of bounds there, there were good moments for Utah's defensive line. But when you put give up 260 yards rushing, you know that Kyle Whittingham and the rest of the defensive coaching staff up there, Morgan Scally, the defensive coordinator, you know there's going to be one stat they're going to point to this week in practice, and that is that 260 yards rushing. They're going to point to it. They're going to hit the wall time and time again and say, that number, it cannot happen again because if it does, we're going to lose more games just like this one. Yeah, Brandon McKinney being the leading tackler for the team, also kind of a surprise, uh, but one tackle more than Devin Lloyd, who just, uh, you know, he he wasn't ever able to really put his impact on this game like he has all year. He's been a difference maker, and it seems in the third and fourth quarters is when he really starts to uh, put his, his, his mark on these games. And I thought that for the most part, Utah did everything that they needed to do uh, offensively uh, to, to really stay in this. But when you look at the overall game stats, I think the big ones that stand out to me are uh, you know, third down conversions, for the Beavers at seven for eleven, and, and Utah was seven for fifteen, which is still much improved. Um, and then uh, you know, uh, just the inability to convert at the goal line for Utah, one of three on fourth down, two of those being you know right there at the goal line, and that's you got to get it done down there for Utah. That's that's fourteen points that they left on the board. Had they been able to convert it, they they likely walk away from this game with a victory. Um, in theory, uh, now I, I'm firm believer that you can't remove the the time stone from the timeline and, and have everything stay in, in, in place. But it just wasn't, you know, it, it, this is a team that jumped out to an early lead and then it all seemed to just kind of melt down and, and they, they, they stayed in the fight. And I think some people would be like, oh, there wasn't any effort or there wasn't any hustle, this or the other. There was. Uh, it just wasn't, you know, enough against a really good Oregon State team. 
Yeah, and that's the thing about it is it's just it was a disappointing outing all the way around. But I also do want to give credit to Oregon State. This is not to say that they came and snuck away with a the victory. They went toe to toe with Utah, big bad Utah. They proved that they are legit. They are a good football program. And I'm not going to lie, Brian. If both these teams take care of business down the road, down the stretch run of the season here, wouldn't surprise me to see a rematch of these two teams in Las Vegas. I know there would be some TV programmers out there who would be less than satisfied if it's Utah versus Oregon State, but who cares? Screw them. You want your team to go and be in Las Vegas playing for the Pac-12 title. Yeah, and then I think for the conference, everybody's well aware of what we need to happen. Oregon needs to win out, but if you're just here like like us and you like the Pac-12 and you enjoy the product and you know how good it is, that's a matchup that's freaking awesome and, and plenty of good storylines for, for smaller programs. They're doing things the right way and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the biggest thing I think is that Utah just needs to get off the schneid, forget this one, leave it up there in Corvallis and come back on Monday ready, ready to roll because they got another good rushing team coming into town with UCLA. Yep, and UCLA, you better bet they're going to you, – you, you can bet, excuse me, that they're going to watch that film from Oregon State and say, okay – Oregon State can do that, we can do that, and that's what they plan to do Saturday night up there at Rice-Eccles Stadium. All right, we need to talk about the special teams, Brian, because this was just an abject failure, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But first, let's talk about our friends over at Prize Picks. You and I are both guys who think Daily Fantasy is a pretty fun thing to try out. If it's something that you are interested out there, and speaking of our listeners, we want you guys to give it a shot because it's Daily Fantasy made easy. And when they say it's easy, it really is. You're Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It really is that easy. You pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections. You can win up to 10 times back on any entry, and it's just you versus those projected numbers. Brian, I think you and I have both seen daily fantasy sites out there where it's like, okay, I'm going up against X thousand other participants, and my chances of winning are minuscule. This is actually a pretty straightforward way to go about winning in daily fantasy. It is, and I've been giving everybody the the secret to to taking care of your daily fantasy picks. It's Carson Strong out there in Nevada. Had another killer weekend. My man is is rolling and throwing and and doing all sorts of things. He is a very strong football player. Mm -hmm. Pardon the pun. I had to do it. It's okay. Um, But that's exactly what's great about uh, prize picks is that you can go find some of those G5 guys. You can find uh, P5 guys. If you have a basketball player that you like, you can mix and match, throw them all in there. So uh, go ahead, take some Jordan Clarkson with some Carson Strong and and maybe some uh, some Cam Rising. Who knows? You might make your uh, might make your day. Yeah, and also all of our listeners right now, when you make your first deposit, use the promo code Locked On, and you actually get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Yes, free money, double your money, just for signing up and using the promo code Locked On when you make that deposit. So check it out now. Get to PricePicks.com. Remember, use that promo code Locked On for the 100% instant deposit match, or go to your app store and download the app today to get started. There, Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Once again, thank you for making Locked On Utes your first listen of the day. It's a blast to be with you guys. Jake and Brian along for the ride here on this Monday. And Brian, let's talk special teams for a minute here because what we saw Saturday night is essentially like kind of the antithesis of everything Kyle Whittingham has ever done in his coaching career when it comes to the third element of the game, and that is special teams. Where do you want to start? Do we want to talk about the punting issues? I think that's kind of the glaring one that most people are paying attention to. 
Well, I, it's the one that stands out the most in my mind, and it was uh, it was ugly, and it's one that you're probably going to have to to get fixed immediately. And and this is now a problem in multiple years for the University of Utah, where they try to go get a new punter, get them introduced. Uh, Cameron Peasley showed up basically in the summertime to try and become a punter. Uh, you know, comes from Pro Kick Australia. Like he has the leg, he has the ability, but he has struggled with trying to get those kicks off in two steps. And it was blatantly obvious that that was a big problem from the Utes on Saturday when he punted one off the back of his personal protector. Now there was some conversation, you know, I'll shout out my, uh, my good friend, Billy Plume, um, who's the defensive coordinator at Weber high school. And, and honestly, one of the smartest football minds that I get to, to talk to on a regular basis, who said, you know, the personal protectors were not being aggressive and that was hurting them. And, and without a doubt on the block, that was a problem. You know, whoever the, the middle protector is, I, I can't remember who it was fell down and that allowed the Oregon state defender to come over the top and block the kick. But uh, Peasley has not been reliable this year. And, and now you're uh, trying to deal with a new long snapper uh, and, and a, a punter that's now had issues and, and you're trying to keep out of the yips. And so you've got a big concern on your hands now with this one. Uh, is it fixable? I think so. You know, whether it's personnel or, or, or whatever it is that you have to do, uh, maybe you go with a little bit different format um, in terms of how you protect the punter. I've never loved that, that three player um, setup that, that they use so much now in college football. Um, but I came from a system where it was man on man. And, and, and so that was just a little bit, if nothing else, it was easier to, to identify who was making mistakes and, and where the errors were coming from. And so maybe that's something that Utah needs to look on, look into. I doubt it seeing as how they've run that style since Kyle Whittingham's been there. Okay. So the, the one thing though, uh, that I am a little bit stunned that we have not seen it. Maybe just, it's not Cameron Peasley style. Where did the rugby kick go? Where 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 is that where is that format been? Because as you mentioned, he has struggled from that set uh, two step and kick. F- the the mechanics of that not working for him. So why not try rolling him out and going the rugby style kick that we've seen at points from different uh, punters at Utah? Tom Hackett, Mitch Wisnowski. They have proven that that can be very effective. I know it's not necessarily as in vogue these days in college football to have that rugby kick, but you got to try something different. Uh, uh, maybe that might be one option to look at. And and you have to think that with Beasley's struggles to get kicks off with two steps, that that might be an option that they go with. And you can you can scheme it so that he's just rolling out on the run, not actually a threat to run necessarily, but just you know trying to uh, trying to uh, get outside and, and get some distance on some punts. But they can't just sit back there and not punt from here on out. That's just not an option. Uh, I don't know if Jordan Noyes uh, has has the ability to uh, punt uh, his field goal kicking was, was hit or miss literally um, missed on a 52 yarder. I don't know that I necessarily blame him so much for that one. It was uh, a tough kick into the wind rushed out there, all that kind of stuff. Not a great execution for that one. Um, but it's a problem, Jake. And, and they've really got to find a solution to this ASAP. Otherwise they're going to be in big trouble against UCLA. Yeah, and the thing about this is I don't want to overreact too much to the special teams because Kyle Whittingham has proven time and time again that he will get things sorted. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Brian, but is, is, is Sharif Shaw still technically the special teams coordinator? <laughs> technically is a good word for it, Jake. Yeah, he is in charge of it, but it's been something that Whittingham's always uh, had his uh, had his hands in in one way or another, and you would expect that he will take the reins in this again. And, and look, it, it's a big task for 
Sharif Shah to get his defensive backs ready every single week right now where he's got two freshmen. So maybe it just makes sense. And and to be honest, the special teams has never really excelled under Shaw. It's not something that I think he's really taken uh, to heart. I think it's more a title in terms of, hey, we can give you an extra 15, 20 grand or however much it is in, in salary or, or, or allow for benefits or whatever it is that they need um, for that. Uh, but like they've got to find a way to get some things taken care of with the set, uh, special teams. Now, that being said, like you, like you mentioned, it's not the end of the world. Because there was a, a sequence where Utah never punted in the second half against Arizona State. That's just not how you want to do it, right? Yeah. Like you want to be solid. And I think the bigger thing was the special teams was indicative overall of Utah's performance where it just felt like this was a team that was just missing. Uh, I tweeted out there it wasn't their day, but it seemed like they were missing that that uh, that energy, maybe an emotion like they've had the last few weeks. The edge. That that, yes. that was one thing I, I felt like. Is, is the edge they played with when they went to USC down to the Coliseum and won for the first time ever in the LA Coliseum. I know they had, they had won in LA back in, what, the 19-teens, but that was before the Coliseum was even built. And also beating Arizona State the way they did, that 28 unanswered. Man, I, I don't want to say this team read its own press clippings, but in a way, they kind of lost the edge they had played with in those two wins, and they kind of got away from them here. I, maybe in some ways, going up 14 nothing was actually a bad thing for Utah because they thought, oh, well, great, we're off to a roll and start here. We're going to just carry over what we did against Arizona State. We're going to roll to a victory. Well, obviously, Oregon State came out and punched him right back in the mouth, and Utah never fully recovered from that. And disappointing loss. But nonetheless, you got to pick up the pieces now because you know that UCLA, they're chomping at the bit. They felt like they had an opportunity to go and beat one of the best teams, if not the best team in the conference in Oregon, and they came up three points short. Well, they're going to say, okay, we didn't get Oregon. Let's go get Utah, though. Yeah, and, and they're going to come into that game confident and having watched this Utah film and think that they can run the ball against them as well. We'll wait and see what happens with DTR, if he's able to go or not. Um, I do think that does play a factor. Ethan Garber is maybe a little bit more of a pocket passer, but still able to get the job done. Yeah, uh, Did throw those interceptions, but look, man, he came into it in the midst of the fire, you know, and 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 I thought he played well given what, what he was walking into. Um, but, you know, I, I, this is also a Utah defense that just didn't really play – um, played great, and and I think missing Malone Mataele and Vontae Davis was a big deal for them in this game where it was much more about the run support, losing Devin Lloyd in the second half. He won't be available for the first half of UCLA, uh, and, and this defensive line is really, you know, a, a defensive unit that's done a really good job for the past two games. Like, like you said, it, either they were reading their press clippings, which possible i think more so it was just this is a team that had been riding an emotional wave for the past two weeks they were at home celebrating things with their their teammates and whatnot uh last week the week before very emotional moment at usc and i think it just caught up with them a little bit this week so the hope is that you get home you regroup you get ready for what's more than likely a night game uh against ucla and and try to bring something back together yep and we'll have that covered for you all week long we'll be chronicling everything tomorrow's podcast we'll recap what Kyle Whittingham had to say in his press conference that'll be coming up at 11 a.m. today on Monday for listening to this on the Monday uh, so we'll have plenty of that for you guys throughout the week as you get you ready for that UCLA matchup and yes it will bear watching to see if DTR can go because as you mentioned if Ethan Garbers is under center for UCLA on Saturday he's very much a different offense he, he's just a different type of quarterback than Dorian Thompson Robinson is but Plenty of storylines, and we'll be tracking it all week long. But, Brian, let's talk about one of our favorite products that we talk about all the time here on the podcast, and that is our friends over at Built Bar. 
absolutely love this company. And the best part is, if you, and well, not the best part, but if you have not tried a Built Bar at this point, it's pretty much your fault because you had multiple opportunities to give them a shot. They say it's a protein bar, but it does not taste like one. And Brian and I can both attest to that. You really just need to try one of these amazing bars yourself to fully believe how great they are. Uh, Brian, I know you played at the college level. I've had enough protein bars in my life that are chalky, they're waxy, or they're just hard to choke down. You feel like you need a gallon of milk to get that bad boy into your system. That's not a built bar. No, it's not. And, and that 17 to 18 grams of protein, depending on which bar you go with, it, it's the kind of stuff that you need after a tough workout or if you need a snack during the day or something to bridge so that you're not so tired. Um, that's that's what Built Bar is all about is, is giving you that snack edge. And, then, you know, you've mentioned that I was a college athlete. There's no way that we ever would have had anything as good as a Built Bar down at Snow College. I'm just saying uh, I love my alma mater. But, man, if Built Bar ever decided to sponsor them, it would be game over. Everybody would be flocking there. Uh, Built Bar, definitely a great tasting protein bar, a, a product that you and I have enjoyed for a long time and and a uh, very uh, strong sponsor of the Locked On Use podcast. Here. Yeah, they've got mouth-watering flavor, mouth-watering flavors including coconut, raspberry, mint brownie, coconut almond, salted caramel, double chocolate, and my personal favorite, Cherry Barcia. And also this month, Built is coming out with new limited time flavors every three to four days. So check back on their website, Built.com often. You don't want to miss out because once those deals go, they're gone for the time being. So get to Built.com right now. While you're there, use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And like we mentioned, limited time flavors all month long. So check back to Built.com often and get enjoying the best tasting protein bars and do it with Built Bar. Before we go here on this Monday edition of Locked On Utes, let's recap everything else that happened in Utah athletics over the weekend. And Brian, let's start off with the Utes volleyball program. And is the legend of Danny Drews going to get any bigger than it, than it could be already? If this is her last year at the University of Utah, which I'm almost positive it is, it sure it surely cannot, Jake. She's uh, accomplishing so many good things right now, and she is an incredible athlete. It's been fun to watch her compete at the University of Utah, and uh, she's ending it on a high note. She's pulling the Costanza, and she became the all-time kills leader this weekend. And despite losing uh, on Friday night to Arizona State, Utah bounced back with a strong sweep of Arizona on Sunday. Yeah, 25-19, 25-18, 25-21 on Sunday, uh, beating the Wildcats in a great showing. They're ranked 18th in the country. Splitting those two matches uh, moves Utah to 13-6 and overall in the season. They're 6-4 and in Pac-12 play, but more importantly, Brian, 8-1 and at home this season. So very impressive outings for Utah. Hopefully they'll keep up the strong play down the stretch here. Uh, they'll hit the road to begin the second half of Pac-12 play. They'll take on Oregon this coming Friday and then Oregon State on Sunday in a matinee affair at 12 o'clock Mountain Time. We'll talk more about that as the week progresses. Other notes for you guys is women's soccer. Wow, this is a heartbreaker. They lose in double overtime to Oregon, Brian. That That hurts. Yeah, a, a really talented Ducks soccer team too, and, and that's one where I think the Utes had uh, had what they wanted in the in OT, and then the 108th minute, Oregon comes in and scores the goal. Uh, just an absolutely uh, gut wrenching loss, but at the same time, a terrific effort from a Utah women's soccer team that under first-year head coach uh, Hideki Nakata is really starting to find. 
uh, an identity. I think this is a team that's starting to hang with the tops of the conference a little bit. And, and uh, I think that this game is another one that they can build upon as they continue to do that. Yeah, to hold 58% of the possession in the match, that's impressive. Uh, Utah now 6-8-3 on the season, 1-5-2 in Pac-12 play. But as you mentioned, they've been hanging tough. That's that's the impressive part because this is a first-year head coach, speaking of Coach Nakata, trying to implement what they want to do with uh, kind of a, a, a rebuild in an essence just in terms of reestablishing a new era of Utah soccer. And I think it's off to a decent start here. A couple other notes before we go here, Brian. Uh, it's never too early for uh, the Utah ski teams to be in action, apparently, because they actually competed in a roller ski competition up in Midway at the Soldier Hollow Nordic Events Center. Uh, kind of funny to think about the fact that we already have the ski team on the slopes, but it was a roller ski event. Uh, the women's side was a second-place uh, finish for Sophia Laukley. Lau- Lau- Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm should have made sure I got the pronunciation guide out before we did this. But good to see Utah getting their season off to a rolling start. They actually will begin their season actually on the slopes January 2nd. But still fun to see uh, the Utah ski teams getting things going and doing it on home turf up there in Midway. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, one of those sports that probably doesn't get the fan support, but has definitely performed on a very high level. I have no idea how roller ski works, but I uh, wanted to give them some love like here on the podcast as we try to do for for all the uh, uh, less less uh, less noticed sports at the in the athletic department yeah absolutely um utah rounded out the top five by the way in this 10k event novi mccabe sydney palmer ledger as well as carrie ann denig dengerud claimed numbers three four and five in that 10k event so congratulations for the women's team on the men's side utah had the top two spots on the podium with luke yeager taking first place and samuel hendry in second fourth place was brian bushy so good to see utah's ski team doing well and then finally brian you and i both have a should we call it a man crush on the utah men's golf program it's just not because we want to get into that facility and give it a shot like have a crack at what they got going but they had a good showing out there in stockton this weekend they did and i think it's yeah a team crush you know this is team a team crush. that we kind of watch develop in front of our very eyes and, and while we haven't actually watched them in person uh we've seen them grow and we, we've seen players like tristan mander uh take control of the program we've watched javier barcos really step uh, forward and become a leader for this team and he did just that in, in this tournament he was the top finisher for the second time this season as he shot a 13 under uh, to finish in solo possession of third place his 200 is the second lowest 54 hole individual score on record at utah uh with you know the leader being javier barcos himself setting the record uh it was two weeks previous at the Notre Dame collegiate um earlier this month yeah, so good to see from the men's golf program. As you mentioned, we've just really kind of seen them kind of rise from a team that's been decent for many years, but it's crazy to think that some investment in this program, how much it's paid off so far, and hopefully they continue to climb from here. Good showing out there in Stockton, California, and hopefully they'll continue to build from this. All right. They're wrapping up their fall season, and then they'll get into that facility. So maybe you and I will just have to hang out there a little bit more often and get our invite in there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last thing uh, from me, Brian, is I'm opening the floor to you. What do you got for us as we round out a Monday edition? It's time for the Brown Bears' words of wisdom. 
<laughs> not a lot of wisdom this week uh, as we're starting things off other than just thank yous as always to our listeners and and remember that uh, it, it, it's not about the mile marker. It's about the finish line. And that's where we're heading as a podcast. It's where the Utah football team is heading. Uh, and so we're going to pass this mile marker, leave it in the dust and, and head for that finish. No doubt about that. But thanks again for joining us. Uh, some of you, we would encourage you once we wrap up here. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. But we want your second listen to be locked on Pac-12, the podcast that catches you up on everything going on in the Pac-12 conference in 30 minutes or less. And if you want more of us, Brian, well, people are in luck because you and I took over filling in for Cindy as the co-host of that fine podcast. We did. You can see us on YouTube. First appearance. All right, so check that out. You can find it on whichever podcasting platform you happen to listen in on. It's free and available on all of them. And until next time, this has been the Locked On Utes podcast for October 25th, 2021, and we will catch you guys manana.